0: This is the voice of Carnage, and you are listening to Carnage Cast.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 20 of Carnage Cast. This week, Interview of the Gamer crosses Lake Champlain to talk with Chuck Henry, founding member of the Nonchalant Gnome Gaming Society, a public gaming group based in Plattsburgh, New York. Chuck talks about the search for fellow gamers in all sorts of places, growing the game group, and representing the hobby to the public. Second, Autopsy of a Game leaps into the future world of San Angeles, talking about the board game Android with Alex and Dan, learning more about this highly thematic game of detectives investigating a crime while wrestling with their personal demons. Before we go to Chuck, remember that Green Mountain Gamers Game Day Spring Meltdown is coming up on April 21st. Going down at the Lindenville Grange Hall from 10am to 10pm, it's going to be a good time. Check out the Green Mountain Gamers website, greenmountaingamers.com, for more information. And now, let's go to Interview with the game.
0: Now, Interview with
1: the Gamer. Hi everyone, welcome to Interview with the Gamer. This week we're talking with Chuck Henry, one of the leaders of the nonchalant Gnome Gaming Society in Plattsburgh, New York. Hi Chuck, how are you tonight?
0: Very well, thank you.
1: Now, what can you tell us about the Gnome Society?
0: Well, we're a gaming group, primarily from Plattsburgh, New York. Uh, We've been playing Uh, Every two weeks, since about 2005, we're a pretty small group still. We usually range between 8 and 10 members at each of our meetings. And we generally play some German games, some American games, whatever tickles our fancy.
1: What's big on the table right now?
0: Well, uh, in the last couple of meetings, we've been playing a few, uh, few things along the lines of Summoner's Wars... We've also played uh, the Walking Dead board game, the one based on the comic book, not the one based on the TV show, mm-hmm. and also uh, a game by one of our former members, Jason Greeno, his game Pocket Kung Fu. Oh,
1: I remember seeing the the link to that on, the other day. How does that work?
0: Uh, it's an interesting little game. It's a, a tabletop, well, I don't want to say miniature game, because that's not really right. It's a neat little game where each person plays a kung fu fighter, and you slide your card across the tabletop um, in a pattern, you know, uh, pivoting it from corner to corner to simulate kung fu. It's a nice, nice light filler game. We kind of like it.
1: Cool. I'll have to see that in action someday.
0: <laughs>
1: so this has been going on for six, seven years now.
0: Uh, yeah, six years in November.
1: What was the the impetus for it?
0: Well, honestly, uh, I was one of those folks that I owned an awful lot of board games Mm -hmm. and have always had an awful lot of board games. And I realized, you know, I really wasn't playing those board games all that much. And just after my second uh, child was born, I decided that, you know, I really needed to reserve some me time. And so I got together with one of my uh, friends, uh, Devin Jacobs, and we slapped a website up on the internet and we advertised on Board Game Geek. Um and almost immediately jason greeno called us and then not long after we met for the first time as the gnomes
1: Mm -hmm. so it it was it was a combination of already knowing somebody and finding somebody on the internet who just happened you know you were in the same area and never knew
0: right yeah exactly um and that's really kind of the way our membership has been um You know, some of our old-time members will drag in family and friends, and then those people will drag in family or friends and people that we've known. And also, we do have people who uh, see our website either through Board Game Geek or uh, through some of the (laughs) very limited advertising we've done over the years, and uh, just drop in and visit, um, which has been really nice.
1: Mm -hmm. So, so you're getting a spread of from full-on hobby gamers to people who know someone who knows someone.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: And what's it like with all those different um, people with all those different backgrounds at the table? Do you have to do any finagling to help the newcomers integrate?
0: Well, yeah, I think that's... uh, For us, I think it's a choice of games a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we have, like I said, between 8 and 10 people most days, um, what that comes down to is we can split into multiple games being played. You know, and very often we'll have a heavier game. And, you know, I use heavier kind of loosely because for us a little heavier game might be, you know, a little more Euro, a little less random dice and card roll type of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, so we might have Power Grid running on one end for the folks who've played before. And then on the other end we might have an intro game, you know, something a little lighter that we can kind of entice them into playing. And so, you know, we have gamers of all different stripes on that from that way so it's easier for us to kind of you know okay break off into one group who's kind of our intro lighter stuff a little heavier for the folks who are interested and then you know we do have our you know our uh, more complicated games to off to one side
1: right so in your experience then would you say there is uh the fabled gateway game or is it different for everybody <laughs>
0: I think it's different for everybody. I, you know, I don't think there is one game that's an easy sell to everyone. It depends on what folks are interested in when they come in through the door. You know, I have s- some folks that come in who have never seen anything outside of Monopoly. You know, in which case, then a little re-education is required. You know, something a little lighter on that end, and then work their way into it. And then I have some folks who come in who say, "Oh, well, you know, I played D and D and." high school and in college and you know i'm looking for something a little more involved in which case uh we can hook them up with someone
1: (laughs) (laughs) hook them up with someone in the sense of board games or find them an rpg group
0: well actually uh one of the nice things about uh nonchalant gnome at this point is, is that we do have folks who are in all different stripes being such a small group the board games and card game end of it really form our core But as Mm -hmm. the years have gone on, we've gained enough members who are also interested in in RPGs. And those folks have kind of split off and continue to play RPGs as well as coming to play board games as well. So we have a group right now that's playing uh, the Warhammer role-playing game. I'm not an Mm -hmm. RPG person myself, so I don't know a whole lot about it. But um, they they meet actually almost more frequently than the board game group does on their own. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we also do have a few people who war game as well, and i don't know what they war what they play because they play all sorts of different things so
1: so is but this isn't all happening at one meeting it's sort of like oh, satellite no. groups Yeah, yeah. Sat-
0: satellite groups, and they kind of use uh the nonchalant gnome website as kind of the central uh central information source
1: so. oh so you so it's uh it's not just informational for people outside the group but the the members have a, find a function as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: As a public group who's, you know, you, you put your presence out there for people to find you. What, uh, what sort of venue do you use to play?
0: Um, we've been very fortunate, um, to be able to use the United Way in Plattsburgh as our, our central meeting space. Very early on in the group, what we used to do was swap between members homes you know, and mm-hmm. that was that worked fairly well, but we always felt that it was kind of a barrier to new players. You know, you, you don't, you're not necessarily, if you were a new player, going to want to drive into the backwoods around here to somebody's house and be kind of trapped in their house for two hours, right? Um, you know, and be a guest in their home just to learn how to play a game. So one of the things that we thought of was we needed to contact folks that had space. And the United Way was actually a good solution for us here in Plattsburgh. They have a nice, comfortable meeting room that has several large tables and comfortable chairs. And um, it's a nice public space. Uh, and in the evenings, we have it to ourselves. So it ends up being a very comfortable space for newcomers to be able to come and join us, as well as uh, be able to spread out and, and really take advantage of their tables.
1: So it's um, it, it, it diffuses things a little bit.
0: Absolutely. I I think it's a nice, non-threatening environment for someone who is new and wants to explore with us to be able to come in to a a public space and uh, play some games with us. And it's been really nice as well. They don't charge us anything uh, for the space, and uh, we we make a point of uh, offering a donation to them periodically as as a thank you for that.
1: You're in uppermost upstate New York, essentially. What's the gaming... I mean, we know what the gaming scene was like. You you formed a gaming group to make one, but what uh, what in general is it like?
0: Well, I, I think uh, being a gamer in upstate New York is somewhat difficult. Um, considering how spaced out the communities are here, I don't think there's a lot of gamers in a concentrated area. I think Plattsburgh is as close as we get. Um, Plattsburgh has also not had, for a large number of years, a stable gaming store that a community could really build around. Mm -hmm. I mean, Burlington has the advantage that there's been a stable gaming store there for a long time. Plattsburgh hasn't had that advantage, so the gamers are a little more unfocused and uh, a little more spread out. And so we've kind of, that's one of the challenges I think that we face is trying to find all the people who would be interested and drag them in um, to enjoy some time with us. Um, You know, and that's why I think we're really dependent on our our new players, our newbies, um, and having them come in and experience it and also then begin to get into some of the other things that the hobby has to offer beyond our uh, gateway games. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. What uh, were some of the places you have found people to bring in?
0: Well, one big place, as you would suspect, is SUNY Plattsburgh itself. Uh, SUNY Plattsburgh is a a continuous source of new college students who are looking for something to do. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of gaming potential uh, in those folks. Another thing that we've found is an awful lot of folks on the other end of their life um, returning back to plattsburgh just ahead of retirement looking for a, a way of getting into a hobby with group folks in the community and so that's been kind of a sight. also what that implies is is that we have members who are a diverse age range as well which is true we have college students ranging through folks in their 60s so it's kind of a interesting set of people to pull together.
1: Does that uh, play out at the table at all, with the the differences in sort of age and perspective?
0: <laughs> As one of our members commented, uh, youth and speed only went out so long against wisdom and trickery. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, you could see that to some degree. The you know the experiences of our players are very different, and so therefore their gaming styles, you know, and how they play on the board are very different as well.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm wondering about bringing this back to conventions because I, I I remember meeting you once or twice at Northeast Wars. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you get around to anything else?
0: Well, actually, uh, we do have a couple of members who in addition to traveling to uh, Northeast Wars, also participate in Council of Five Nations in Albany, mm-hmm. the Connected Wargaming Association. Right. Um, and in fact, uh, I've GM'd a few times for their events over the last few years, and we do have a couple of members that travel down for that as well. It's kind of too bad that there hasn't been a Northeast Wars recently, but... <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the Gnome Society is, you know, your typical... Fairly intimate game group, or you've got this uh, a core group of people that you get to know really well. But how does it, how can that compare to uh, you know a convention experience where you're sort of thrown in with all these strangers who hopefully like the same game as you do?
0: Well, in very much the case where you're comfortable with a group of people, you're comfortable with the way things operate. Your personalities are. Um, you're used to dealing with the personalities of the folks involved, and convention spaces generally are much more intense for a much shorter period of time. And you get kind of a interesting cross-section of how people deal with different situations and different table talk and different uh, ways of looking at how rules are interpreted and how games flow. So it's real real different and fun.
1: And it's a little less easy to predict what somebody across the table is going to do if you haven't played that same game with them so many times.
0: Right. Very true. Well, that almost leads into a discussion about the meta game of folks sitting around a table. When you have a consistent gaming group, you get used to okay. I know this player is an aggressive player. Oh, I know this player has a tendency to be uh, a little more of a turtle. They hang out. They hold up. They try to play a defensive game. And so, when you're playing in a in a comfortable gaming group, you can kind of use that information against folks. When you're sitting across mm-hmm. the table from someone at a con. You don't know, which is fun. That makes, that's part of the fun of that situation. And it's also fun to play in your own gaming group because you're aware of that information. You're aware of that interplay of personality.
1: Right. Correct me if, I, if I'm misremembering this, but a, a year or two ago, I think we, we chatted a bit about playing games outside in the community. Uh, certainly the, the United Way is a public space, but I, right. I remember you right. talking about uh, a place in Plattsburgh you had experimented playing with for a while.
0: Uh, yeah, that was one of the things that uh, we attempted to do more of in 2010 than we had in the past. Um, there was kind of a movement in the game, gaming world with this idea of play in public, that you would go to a public space and play some games so that way folks could see you playing games that were not the standard game. And hopefully they'd come over and ask questions, and that would kind of launch your dialogue. In 2010, we tried to do a little bit more of that. We actually were able to get a gaming situation set up at Borders before it met its demise. Mm -hmm. We were also able to play at a couple of the local coffee houses in Plattsburgh. One being, actually, it was a deli downtown, as well as Coffee Cat here in Plattsburgh which gave us an opportunity to play in front of folks. We got some good good community uh, response from that. We actually did act- have a few people who uh, decided to join us permanently after that, after seeing a game played, and didn't realize there were game players in town. So it was, a, it was a good opportunity, and I really do encourage, if you have a gaming group, to give it a shot. It is awfully scary, because mm-hmm. you, you have that initial fear that people are going to think you're a freak of some form because you're playing, you know... A uh, game about Battlestar Galactica or something, you know that. <laughs> oh, you're, right. you know, flying your uh, geek flag for everyone to see. But it actually is very good for them to be able to approach you in a, again, public space and a non-threatening environment and see what you're doing and see that it isn't that really uh, crazy a thing to do, and see that it's kind of fun. Uh, some of the games that we played were ones that were easy enough for people to pick up that wouldn't require an awful lot of foreknowledge to play. One that actually we played at the deli that was, a, I think, an excellent way of cutting into the public knowledge was Cash and Guns. Now, it sounds horrible because this is a game about a failed robbery, essentially, where folks are trying to divvy up the funds and you're using plastic guns... Well, they're foam rubber guns to decide who who gets the loot after this uh, bank heist type of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's an immediate people get it. It's one of those games where you all you have to do is explain the rules real fast and then you're off and running. And people have fun with it because you never know what's going to happen with it. It sounds awful because, you, okay, we're playing a gun game in public, but it worked out. You know, in other games that are... Uh, I hate to use the phrase gateway again, but worked well for public setting. Was stuff like Carcassonne. Fairly easy rules to explain. Place a tile, place a meeple on it. Ta da! Mm -hmm. Um, So those worked well in those contexts. So play in public was one of those things that we've really been trying to do more of, and it hasn't. It's worked out fairly well, but it hasn't been um, a solid, more than a solid focus for us. Um, The way it works for us. This is that we have the United Way for a certain number of meetings per year, which basically comes out to most months twice a month. But on those off days, which typically occur every couple of months where we'll have one meeting that isn't, doesn't have a scheduled location, that's where we've tried to slip in those play-in-public games, trying to get out there so people can see us.
1: Mm-hmm. What does the dialogue, dialogue usually go like when somebody comes up and asks, is that risk, for example?
0: <laughs> well, the... You can say, "Well, it's kind of like risk, but <laughs> it mm-hmm. does something different." You know, and kind of launch the conversation that way. W- believe it or not, we get that question a lot with Small World. People go, people come up to it and go, "Oh, that looks kind of like risk, right?" But it isn't. But here's how it's different, <laughs> and then we launch into uh, into what the differences are. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's an awful lot of people that come up to us and we'll look at whatever the game is and go how do you keep track of that and you have to go well it's actually not that bad just think of it like this (laughs) and then begin (laughs) to explain it a little bit
1: i mean small world and risk really
0: yeah i i I don't see a resemblance per se but some apparently folks do
1: must be the subdivided map
0: maybe maybe i mean
1: i i was asked that once of antique if it was risk and I think we went with uh, it's it's uh, it's 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 very old risk is what we said,
0: there and you that go. seemed to satisfy him. Yeah, well, I could see that. <laughs>
1: well, you, you know, you got the little soldiers and the temples. It's just like risk, honest.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Just like, only different.
1: Mm-hmm. Com- only completely different. Sit down and try it out for three or four hours.
0: Right. <laughs> Well, and I I think that's another component of it. Is is that when you are playing a game in public, it needs to be a nice short game. Right. So, so that way, it's very easy to say, "Oh, we just finished up. Would you like to sit and play? It won't take too long." Mm-hmm. In which case, then they're like, "Oh, okay, maybe."
1: <laughs> I, I've uh, I've always, I've always like just try a turn, see what happens.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's another one of those things. If you're playing in public, to be very flexible about saying, oh, well, I'm about to play my turn. Would you like to jump in? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, here, look at my hand. Here's what I'm about to do and why, you know, which helps. (laughs) And being willing to, it it almost becomes a teaching moment more than it is, you know, a a publicity moment. You know, as much as I would love this person to come back and play, really I want them to see that the game is easy to play and there's, you know, something that they can find that they like in this.
1: Yep. Yeah, the, the the best of those interactions I've had is when somebody walked away knowing the name of the game and where they could find it.
0: Yes, absolutely. And that, that happens quite a lot as well, which is another consideration when you're playing in public is play something that's still available. Right. You know, uh, Blockus. Blockus is another one of those games that, for whatever reason, people see it, and they immediately, ooh, bright colors, little pieces, neat. Where can I get mm-hmm. a copy? In which case, then, we can direct them. And these days it's easier to find that in Target and Wally World and places like that that previously we were not able to.
1: Yeah, Catan is one of the the games has made it into the mass market, hasn't it?
0: Yes. Oh, I I was amazed. I saw a copy of Settlers at Target yesterday. You know, that's amazing. And a copy of Lord of the Rings as well at Target. Really? Very strange. <laughs>
1: that is. It's, I wonder if it got lost.
0: Well, it's it was it looked like one that was purposely the production value was lower, you know, rather than getting little a little Sauron plastic piece instead it's a cardboard standee. You know, the board isn't quite as graphically complex. The the board is smaller, but it's a great way to put a game that I don't think most people would ever lay eyes upon out there, you know. Um so, there was, yeah, there was a copy of Settlers of Catan and Lord of the Rings and Deadwood next to it. And I've never played Deadwood before, but it was interesting to see these games that were traditionally uh, designer game market games mm-hmm. in Target. <laughs> you know, very, very nice to see uh, these games actually seeing a greater audience.
1: I think everybody can agree board games have had an upsurge in the last five to ten years, but they're really starting to break through to people who wouldn't normally have encountered them in their lives.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely.
1: Has uh, sort of the board game renaissance played into the the growth of the gnome society at all?
0: Um, I think to some degree. um, I think that would be the case. Um, Like I said, a lot of our members now are in the middle age and above category, you know, and these are folks that were you know, maybe avid card game players, like, you know, hearts and spades and that type of thing in college. And mm-hmm. now that there are all these games that do all sorts of fascinating things that have all sorts of interesting mechanics that are now readily available, that they're beginning, when they come back to us, to go, yeah, I'm ready for something a little more complex. Or, yeah, I'm ready for that kind of new mechanic, that new thing to try. You know, which gives us... uh gives us some new members so you know i think that helps um i also think it helps that we all have access to much a much deeper variety of games than we had before makes it much easier to find something for everybody
1: right when you said that they were the older gamers i didn't realize they were coming from the really traditional tabletop games so you're not you're not seeing like a return of the grown yards of old it's the the spades and hearts players
0: yeah, I think they're a little more casual. I, you know, our hardcore war gamers from days of your, I don't think if they're in the Plattsburgh area, they have not made themselves known.
1: <laughs> okay, they're they're on a very stealthy maneuver. Uh,
0: apparently, <laughs> apparently.
1: You mentioned earlier doing a little bit of advertising. Are there any particular places or venues that you make your outreach beyond play, the play in public campaign?
0: Initially, uh, we explored several different ways of getting the word out. One way that we did that was to put up posters in what we felt were key locations. In Plattsburgh, we have a very prominent comic book store that does have gaming uh, games as well. It's Fantastic Planet. Excellent organization. Um, Absolutely love the folks down there. They were kind enough to let us put up a poster. Mm Mm-hmm. On occasion, when they've had special events, their anniversary and those types of things, we will make a point of being present there. On occasion, they've let us set up a table and actually play a game or two. Mm -hmm. So that's one way that we've outreached. Another way is when we've had college students that were involved in the student council on campus. Um, They've advertised as much as they could on campus. There's some very uh, strict rules about outside organizations advertising on campus so it was one of those things where we met with kind of limited success getting the word out there but i know that we did have some posters and some uh, uh, some advertisement on their closed caption circuit tv system there we also have printed for a number of years business cards and we've made it kind of a running joke game type of thing where you take your business cards and you go find people that have business cards set out at their various businesses and mix Mm -hmm. our cards in with theirs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's kind of a joke. I mean, I don't know if we've ever actually gained a member from it, but we think it's funny. Um, (laughs) You know, you stand at a... In fact, it happened to me once. I took one of my kids to the the dentist's office and she had a little standee of, uh, of... her business cards out on the desk and I noticed there was one blue one like five or six back and so I thumbed through to look at it and sure enough it was one of our cards somebody had beat me there (laughs) you know so it's just it's a little subtle ways that we can kind of you know uh, get our word out however crazy and uh, misfit it might be but those are the things that we've tried thus far beyond Mm -hmm. that really word of mouth has been our biggest biggest draw
1: Mm-hmm. both verbal and electronic cuz I know, I know you mentioned uh Board Game Geek.
0: Um yeah, most actually honestly a lot of the folks that we do have have been uh verbal referrals, friends of friends or relatives or something along those lines. The Board Game Geek thing actually has been a pretty good advertisement for us early on. Mm-hmm. Meaning like like I said our one of our first three members was a Board Game Geek uh person. But we've also seen from BoardGameGeek drop-ins, which I think is kind of fun. During the summer, we'll have two or three people stop in at some of our game sessions during the summer who happen to be in the Adirondacks hiking for the summer and are just looking for something to do while they're in the area. And they found us on BoardGameGeek and decided to drop in. Well, that's cool. Which is very neat. It's very neat to get to to meet some folks from all over the country who just happen to be in the Adirondacks and happen to be gamers as well. Mm -hmm. So, pretty fun.
1: Do you have any uh, last thoughts?
0: I think if you are starting a gaming group or uh, looking to expand your gaming group, it's really important that you don't just give up on it early. Mm -hmm. I mean, really the nonchalant gnomes, we spent probably the good first two years of our existence as a four-man group just meeting and you know it really took some time for once we were rooted in the community once people knew we were there to actually begin to get more people and get the numbers up and right now i'm really happy with where we are but it's one of those things where three years ago i might have been a little less optimistic about where we were and what we were going where we were going and who we had Um, but now you know i think uh, things are off to a good start. And that's really my advice to anyone when they're starting a group. You don't have to build a huge group overnight. It grows.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And as long as you're playing games along the way, everything's fine.
0: Yeah, and as long as you're having a great time playing some great games, doesn't matter.
1: Absolutely. Now, where should people go if they want to know more about uh, the Nonchalant Gnome Society?
0: Uh, really, the best place to go is our website, which is gnomegaming.com. Um, that's got our schedule of what we play it's got records for pretty much every game session dating back to 2005 that you can peruse through and see what we've played and right on that website if you go look under the members you can actually see uh, entries for some of our members and we've got phone numbers for a lot of us so they can pick up a phone and call and ask us any question they want as well that would be great
1: so you're very accessible
0: absolutely absolutely
1: All right, Chuck, thank you very much for uh, coming on the show tonight.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Tyler. Next, we take you to an autopsy of a game.
1: Hi, welcome to Autopsy of a Game. I'm here with... uh, Hi, I'm Alex Clay. And I'm Dan Williams. And today we're going to talk about Android, a uh, science fiction board game from Fantasy Flight Games. Alex, why don't you give us the uh, the overhead view of what Android is? So, Android is
2: a game that is, like many Fantasy Flight Games, has a huge board and many small pieces. Various tokens and cards and lovely things like that. Uh, the game itself, the, the board represents the city of New Angeles, and Moonbase Heinlein, and The Beanstalk, which is a space elevator that connects the two after a fashion. Mm -hmm. Uh, The game itself plays over a period of two weeks, and each player is an investigator of sorts. There are people who are working actively with a police department. Like, there's a, a police officer, there's a robot who's or Bioroid, excuse me. I was gonna say, thank you very much. Bioroid. <laughs> uh, Bioroid, who's working with the, uh, the NAPD. And then there's a couple of, uh, bounty hunter, private investigator types. Mm-hmm. Each player takes the role of one of them, and they each have different mechanics, which are, di- they're different for each player. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's one of the interesting parts. Uh, the game itself, is based around a murder, so you have a stack of different different uh, scenarios, and you choose one at the beginning of the game, and that's sort of what drives the uh, the game the gameplay. Mm-hmm. However, each detective also has personal stories that they're trying to resolve in a positive way. Uh, for example, Raymond Flint is one of the characters, who's a troubled PI who Dan was playing, and his his plots can deal with uh, he is he was in the war and he has particularly bad memories, or he uh, he gets involved with I think your plot was he gets involved with some dame that
3: yeah this this his ex girlfriend comes back yeah and, uh, she's up
2: to no good definitely yeah it,
3: it, it's not that great the other plot he only has two options for a plot his other plot involves a missing uh, a missing comrade from the war from the war right who went missing and he's hoping to find him
2: right so each each player has a a couple different plots uh, that can take place over the two weeks and you're trying to manage that you can put. Uh, Positive baggage on your own. So, uplifting things that happen to you, you're connecting with your father, you're talking to people at the university that are, you know, these are good things that happen to you. You're, you know, uplifting Mm -hmm. your own thing. Or other players can do things that you would get negative baggage, which is, you know, you get beat up in a fight or you go into the wrong place and someone kidnaps you or your connections don't work out and you end up in a bad situation or you just have negative emotional Mm -hmm. issues. So that, that's sort of, you're, you're trying to manage that at the same time as you're trying to uncover evidence about the central, the murder. Which is based off that scenario. Which used. is a scenario, right. So that there's, in ours, there was a mining laser. Someone had been killed with a mining laser on a mining colony on the moon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we were trying to figure out who did that. And because it was, uh, related to this mining thing, there were some additional points associated with getting favors with the miners or with the corporations in the form of street favors. Right. Or corporate favors.
1: Which is a whole separate element from. A whole the, separate element, yeah. Managing. Out
2: the it, right. So, there's a lot of different things going on, and in addition to trying to uncover evidence about, uh, the suspect that you believe is guilty, there's also a little puzzle sort of up in the upper right-hand corner of the map that links the central murder to various groups by, there's a, it's a basically a little, just a little maze, and you, you can, you can pick up these tiles and, and attach them to this conspiracy mm-hmm. web, and, and the more times you connect it to the center, various groups will say if you connect a corporate group. If you have corporate favors at the end of the game, you get more points because now you have something over them, and you can sort of manipulate your position. Is the sort of the thematic right? So that's that's the uh, the basic overview of the game. There's lots of different things you can do. It usually takes about an hour plus per person who's playing to finish the game yeah. in addition to learning time. So it's not a game you can just pick up and play. You have to sort of plan yep. most of the day. You have to make arrangements. That's correct.
3: You have your mail held, someone to walk the dog. On.
1: That's right, okay. yes. It really benefits you to have uh, a teacher or a sensei who can right. walk so, Right,
2: someone her. who knows. It's, it's helpful to read the rules, and they're available okay. on Fantasy Flight's website, like all their games. Which is nice, um, and if you are going to play it, I would recommend reading through them at least. Uh, there's some good support out there. Universal Head makes a lot of good um, player aids, so mm. I have a number of those that have been printed yeah. out. They're there. very nice. They look yeah. as good as the rulebook. Yeah, so I'd highly recommend printing out those things. Board game Geek, of course, has
1: all sorts of resources as well. Mm-hmm. And some strong opinions about the game itself. Of course, of course. Oh,
2: yeah. So one of the things that people don't like about this game is that Um, you're not, actually, it's not like Clue or, or like a Murder at the Abbey or whatever that game is called. Nobody, there, there isn't, there isn't... Nobody did it. Right. We don't know who did it. It's very wishy-washy. There's no, you don't pick someone's name out of a hat at the beginning that's hidden and then that's who did it and we're trying to figure it out. It's not a deduction game. You're, you have a hunch, both, both an innocent hunch and a guilty hunch at the beginning of the game that are secret from the other players.
1: Yep. Which, in which... The, the hunches indicate want two separate people out of the whole pool of possible. That's correct. Suspects. Like I yep. had
3: my my guilty hunch was, v- uh, Vinnie the Strangler. Uh, Vinnie the Strangler, everyone's a fine favorite. Fine fellow. Mister the Strangler. My innocent hunch, I believe, was Eve. Eve, who is a uh, she's, uh, she's a five VA three TC uh,
2: pleasure bioroid. Yeah, she's a bioroid. So and, there's a there's a six possible suspects, and you choose them uh, based on the the um the scenario that you choose and the number of players. So there's always an, an extra suspect over oh, really the number, number of the players. players. Yeah. So as you're collecting evidence on the board, you draw these little chips out of a, a bag or a cup, mm-hmm. and it has a number on it from negative 5 to 5, and that's sort of indicating how strong the evidence is, whether it's towards guilty or towards innocent. So a, a 5 is something that is really, really damning evidence that you found. Mm-hmm. And you place that on, on the suspect. Each suspect has sort of three areas. There's three types of, of clues you can discover. There's physical evidence, there's document evidence, and there's testimony evidence. Mm-hmm. So physical evidence like fingerprints, put, footprints. Follicles. Yes, hair follicle. Anything that like CSI, you know, blood, sta- blood spatter. Mm-hmm. Punch it in a computer, it's like boop, 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 ding, you know. Anything that television the, has taught us is a lot easier than it actually is. Right. Right. Document evidence is like file, like, a uh, surveillance camera footages yeah. or, or, uh, logs on an ATM machine that indicate someone was there. Cell phone records. Cell phone records. And then testimony is, oh, this guy said Vinny tried to strangle me. <sighs> Therefore, he's kind of pretty, pretty guilty looking. That's possibly Vin- the
1: least convincing of the evidence. That's, <laughs> that's what Vinny does, man. Except- well, so
2: that's very convincing. So if, if you find a testimony evidence of plus five, that means that it's very guilty. So for, perhaps if you, you justify this to yourself, this isn't in the rules at all, but you know, maybe, maybe uh, Vinny tried to strangle a guy and was disturbed. And so you talk to the guy and he says, yeah, yeah, Vinny tried to strangle me. He, mm-hmm. he said something about, you know, murdering someone on the moon. Which <laughs> you're like, killed, huh. like I killed that
3: guy on the moon. So <laughs> when I'm when I was going around the board and collecting evidence, if I found evidence that was particularly strong in favor of guilt, I would put it on Vinny. And if it was strong in favor of innocence, I'd put it on Eve. So the game is less about figuring out who actually did the crime and it's more about pinning on somebody you don't like. Right. Well I mean, you have a
2: hunch and you yeah. get points at the end, the way that, that is sort of Rule in the rules is that you get points for having a correct guilty hunch,
3: right? Because you did. I mean, the, the evidence was in Vinny's favor, although I think our game uh, Sergeant Deja Thoris was. The the Vinnie had one. a
2: lot. I think it was between Vinnie and, yeah, and Sergeant yep. yep. Deja Thoris but. of Mars, so Martian right. military.
3: So Deja Thoris did it. Well, that's where all the evidence was. So it's, it's not true, not so the much, evidence pointed that, that way. So it her, but. when well, you
2: place it, it's all face down. This this evidence, so it's not like. You kind of know, as you're going along, who's yeah, the most no. guilty. You know that someone has a lot of little well, tokens on them, but you don't know if those are guilty or innocent tokens.
1: Unless yep. you've been watching who's putting what where.
2: Right. Yeah, and you can find out sometimes.
3: Some cards let you look at some of them, etc. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard to be sure exactly what you think.
1: You and can, you can be- talk to Jimmy the Snitch
2: or Lily Lockwell, the reporter. They'll help you out with that. They'll both let you know mm-hmm. some information.
1: And the the uh, another element of the evidence is it's, in addition to it being abstract and you can pin... You can tie any piece of evidence to any suspect to suit your detective's hunches. But there's also the element that certain types of evidence are better or worse against certain suspects. Yes. yes. So each...
2: each uh, On the suspect sheet, there's three boxes, one for each type of uh, evidence. And there's strong, normal, and weak evidence. So at the end of the game, once you flip over, once the game ends and everyone has resolved all their plots, you, you determine who actually... The evidence points to us doing it, who gets convicted, mm-hmm. and you, um, any strong evidence, the weakest strong evidence is removed because it's, it's strong. Like, uh, for example, Sergeant Deja Thoris has strong physical evidence. So if you find something that is physical evidence that's uh, exonerating evidence—that's no, that doesn't count because mm-hmm. like, yeah, if there's a negative five was, on
3: her on her strong evidence, you'd probably take it off. Right,
2: it would go away. Yep. Um, there's normal evidence, which is just straight up, and then there's weak evidence where uh, the strongest gets thrown out. So weak is sort of good for um, innocent. For Vinnie, of course, here
3: testimony <laughs> evidence is the weak one. <laughs> it's the weak because it says Vinnie. right in his text that witnesses disappear or refuse
2: to testify, because, hey, he's been the Strangler. Mm-hmm. Right, so they, they each have their weak and strong points. So that's another part of the game, is when you pull something that's particularly strong, but it's in a place that maybe wouldn't
1: count so much against your guy. You have to sort of think about that. Yep, it might be better to put it on another character, just to take it away from the ones you're concerned about.
2: It could be. I mean, you could put it on someone who... It's not going to make much of a difference on any way just to throw other people off. Like you were saying, if you're paying attention to who's putting what where, yeah. if you put it on someone else, maybe that'll throw off the other players as to who you're actually trying to get.
1: Right. Well, not when I played. I was pretty transparent about who I cared about. Right. Right. You were dumping a lot of stuff on Ms. Thoris here. And a little bit on noise, because I was pretty certain he was innocent. <laughs> I
3: believe he was innocent. Yes. Uh, he
1: ended up being innocent. Was he yes. a hunch? He was my innocent hunch. Innocent. Yes. Oh, All right. right.
3: My um, my guilty hunch was Vinny, and I did load him up on a lot. And I guess Eve was... Well, that's the funny thing. you got one gu- gu- guilty person and one most innocent person. But
1: all the moderately innocent people, I guess right. they're not worth anything.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep. And obviously, everybody who isn't guilty is, you know, innocent.
1: Right. But then you have something like where we were all putting hits out on Mark Henry... Just just because no one really cared about Mark Henry.
3: But that, that was,
2: (laughs) that's another thing. So, so one of the things you can do with the board and various cars will allow you to put hits out on various suspects. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not particularly good people here. No. We're brooding, troubled detectives and our our, our investigators. So, if you see, for example, if you see someone loading someone else, one of the suspects up with tokens, you could, at great expense or, or luck, Load them up with with hits, put up hits, and if you put enough hits out on a suspect, that suspect is removed from the game, is deleted, Mm -hmm. as Floyd might say. uh, You mean armade? Delete. Yes. (laughs) Well, that's Floyd, man. He's inhuman, but kind. It's true. He's Mm a doubting. He's a doubting bioroid. So, that uh, that was Tyler's player. Hey, I was brilliant, but tortured while playing Raymond Flint. It's true, you were, and I was a psychic clone, unstable and lonely, <laughs> capricious. Say, nice. like it's true. I am psychic and unstable, <laughs> mm-hmm. and some and lonely. Yeah, I'm lonely also. And uh, uh, Andrew,
3: who's not here, was playing Rachel Beckman, the uh, bounty hunter, has major debt
2: problems. Right. So we each have different sort of personal mechanics to deal with as well. Um, as a psychic clone, I had to deal with my own sanity. So. If bad, enough bad things happen, then my sanity goes down, and I get fewer thing, fewer
1: uh, time allotted per turn to do things, mm. and I also lose victory points at the very end. Because that's a key point of of running around the board is you, how much you can do is measured in the time it takes.
2: Right. So a turn a turn takes is um, every time you you start your turn, you get a certain number of time units, and various things traversing the board, following up leads. Playing cards on yourself or others takes a time. And some some of the locations take variable time. Yep. To, if you spend some time at a, like the factory that makes bioroids, you can get some victory points. Yep. Some time and some tokens and some favors and cash it in for some points.
1: Yeah, it's always a combination of
2: resources to get almost anything. Almost anything. Yeah. A lot and of time is that. one of the resources you have. So some people get more time, for example, if uh, as the psychic clone... If I become very sane, I get extra time because I'm efficient. I'm not worried about mm-hmm. my VAT sisters.
3: Floyd always has extra time just from being a bioroid, I believe. So
2: Floyd, Floyd's uh, interesting mechanic is that he has three directives built in. Yeah. RoboCop, Asimov directives. Yes. Um, and part of his plots is that he can choose to override them because he's developing... He's like Data. He's like yes. trying to be human, yeah. as Floyd human can, as possible. So I believe in our game... You ended up
1: uh, having an imagination. Did you learn to murder? And, uh... No, I did not. That is the one directive I, I, I did not override because I didn't have the opportunity to, and I personally don't think murder is good. Uh,
3: <laughs> Come on now. What's wrong with you?
1: Yeah, that, that was one of the fun things I had seen about Floyd in an earlier game I had played, and that's why I wanted to play him here, was to the monkey with the, the, the directives and his storylines. I particularly enjoyed that about him. And also the fact that he could choose which way his stories were going to go, whereas the other players are more at the mercy of who's been playing dark cards on them.
2: Dark cards or whatever the mechanic happens to be for that particular plot. Raymond
3: Raymond Flint's little funny thing is he's got all these bad memories... You yes, gotta, that's right. <laughs> you got to give everybody else, a player, one of the memory cards. Mm-hmm. And then at certain
2: opportunities, they can be like, aha, here's your bad memory, and it totally screws you over. So, for example, I had one where Raymond Flint, if he got into a fight on the moon, I'd play it on him, and he would have flashbacks to the war, the mm-hmm. low-gravity fight or whatever, Yeah, and then he would lose his turn or... There's a lot of bad ones. Loses cards or things there's, like that. There's
3: a lot of bad ones for Raymond Flint, uh, on the moon or going away from, yeah, away from the earth. Which you is know.
1: why you never went anywhere near the beanstalk. <laughs> the whole I, time you just stuck around in the city. I've, I've seen Raymond Flint before
3: and I, uh, I, it says in the, there's a, there's a card you get. Everybody gets a little card that kind of tells you how to play the guy. Yes. Yeah, there's a strategy card, which is big, nice. the big that, advice for Raymond Flint is avoid the beanstalk. I was like, all right, well, I just won't go to the moon then.
2: I don't need the moon. There's nothing going on on the moon. And on the other hand, I believe Floyd and Rachel spent most of the first week yep. up on the moon. Because on once you're up, the, it's it's difficult you know, they, to go back and forth. It, it's takes, long a long. Long. it takes a lot of time. Now,
3: yes. I, Raymond does start with a dropship token, which allows you to go from where mm-hmm. you are to yep. anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, And it does say in here, you know, avoid the, avoid the beanstalk and use dropship passes to go back and forth. But I was like, you know, I think there's some terrible things that happen to you if you're on the moon. There's nothing much going on in the moon, and there's a lot down here, so I'll just stay down on Earth. Yeah. You know, I did come in last place, but I don't think avoiding the moon was part of it. I think that was due to some bad luck with losing all my favors uh, several times. Uh, you, yeah, you
2: got hit by some um, bad yeah, Twilight Flo-
3: cards. Floyd, t- not Floyd. Raymond can unfortunately very easily lose all his favors. Uh, and they're worth a lot of points at the end of the mm-hmm. year. And he doesn't start in with this, any in other this sign. particular game. Yeah, the favors ended up being worth a lot of points well, if I mean, you got certain ones. Not everybody starts with favors. Maybe it's
1: just Floyd then. Oh,
3: no, no, Ooh. uh Louis Louis. Louis. and Louis. always yeah. favors. My, um, and then of course uh, Rachel's thing involves her debt
2: level.
1: Yes, yeah,
3: so
2: she gets she loses and gains money based on cards, um, yeah. which gives her points at the end. And certain t- sometimes, for example, she got a lot of bad baggage when she started losing money on mm-hmm. one of yes. her plots because she was she's in debt and well i think with buying military hardware for rachel yeah she can upgrade her she can she's like a cyborg
3: sort of person she can put in these implants and, and augment yep. takes money and um
2: i don't remember what your special mechanic it was a uh, madness sanity. oh just the sanity so thing, trying to manage my sanity <laughs> and then lewis blaine the corrupt cop who we didn't have he, he has, has moods. He has Good he's, mood and bad. He's mood. very moody. Yeah. yeah. When he gets good stuff played on him, he gets in a good mood. And when things take a turn for the worst, he gets in a bad mood. He's much. It's he, better when he's in a good mood. Otherwise, he's just out of control. I think. Is that right? He he goes back and forth. On a bad mood, I believe he's better at some things. And in a good oh, okay. mood, he's better at some things.
3: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Another thing that's interesting about this game is the mechanic for playing the cards. The so Twilight cards is what you're talking about. Yes. Right?
3: Everybody's got two decks of cards associated with them. They're the light cards and the dark cards. Mm-hmm. And you draw your own light cards and you play them on yourself to help you. And other
2: people draw your dark cards and play them against you. Mm-hmm. So usually don't... on your turn, too. Right, a lot of them, them say you. when you enter a CD location or yeah. when you go to a go to the moon. Or, yep. or, or just...
1: When you fulfill some condition. When you do yeah. something, if you have card no cards in your hand... You. This, you know, they play
3: some play card it. on you and it, it just... it's Sometimes they're not so horrible. Um, for example... I had a couple throughout the course of the game where I could monkey with Floyd's tech. Yeah. Now... Tyler never really got any tech. It was all buried in his deck. Somewhere. It was buried at the bottom yeah. of my light, So, dude. he never really got to do much with his
2: tech. I think he put one out at one point. I, all, you I you never were, you were going to, but then you weren't in the right place. You have yeah. to go back oh, to yeah. the factory. I didn't have a technician it to install Right. <laughs> so I, so I, I had, cards, to do a I had cards
3: that would have ruined his tech, like made him discard them or made them non-functioning and he couldn't even discard them
1: mm-hmm.
3: and things like that. So I was, I held on to him for a while until I realized that it was pointless
1: and he was never going to no, and personally, I hadn't mastered the the, uh, the mechanic of being able to play my light cards, because part of playing a light card is it causes a shift along this emotional yeah, so spectrum. So
2: each character card has a, a spectrum, a Twilight yeah, spectrum, so stops when you play, you need to be in a good place to play good cards. On. No, you have to be in a bad place. It's sort of a weird mechanic. It doesn't yeah. sort of line up thematically, but... You sort of have the spectrum that you go back and forth, and playing light cards sends it one way, and mm-hmm. playing it dark cards sends it the other way. So on your turn... So is... on your turn, you usually want to play a light card or two so, so that you're on one end right. of the spectrum, so that on, on other people's turns, you can use that to pay for playing bad cards on them so that when it comes back around to your turn, you're you in the right place to play it your right. So it's a, you you, ha- you
1: you want to do... Kind of optimally, you want to be playing cards a good card you on can. yourself and a bad card on someone. Which yeah. also means you want to be drawing your light cards and drawing other people's dark cards, which goes back to the time management aspect where right, so it's spend, hard. Right, well, yeah, you I, can't spend all your time launching across the board to pick up uh, evidence. You also need to be drawing cards along the way. Mm-hmm. I
3: found that Raymond's ability, Raymond has an ability to draw two cards for one time instead right. of one, which was nice. one of his memory. I found things. that really helpful because um, yeah, you, know, you were doing that a lot, I think. Yeah, well, whenever I was going to draw a card, of
2: course, why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Yep. you can only do it once a turn. And so, I mean, one of the things you can spend time to pick up a card, either of your own or of someone else, but you, when you enter certain types of locations, if you yeah. enter a ritzy location, which is indicated by a certain uh, icon, you can pick up a, a free light card, assuming your hand size isn't, uh, you're not at your limit, and if you go into a seedy a location, you can pick up someone else's dark card, because you're you know, visiting the underbelly of the city.
1: That's right, the free pickups, I'd forgotten about that.
2: Yep. Yeah, so you try and, as you're moving across the map, you can try and hit some of those locations. However, there are cards that say, you know, when Floyd enters a CD location, a fight breaks out. And yep. you say, uh, well...
1: Yeah, it's that trade-off. You don't know what somebody's going to hit you with when you go somewhere, but you're hoping to get a goodie out of it.
2: Right. So I think, in general, it's not too bad to avoid that. One of my, as the psychic clone one of my things it said, is to keep trying... Look at other people's hands. A lot of my cards let me look at other people's hands, so then I can see what what they're going to hit me with and make mm-hmm. you discard my dark cards, so I can sort of minimize that. Uh, on the other hand, it said if anyone looks at my hand, I need to get rid of it because apparently using that against me is pretty strong.
1: Yeah, I don't think anybody really figured out how to use you know, the, the, your your character's dark cards well because I I had um that that was, I remember that was on my the strategy sheet I had for how to deal with the, the, the clone. And by only pulled a few of Caprice's dark cards and never quite figured out how to make the effects align such that, because I remember the strategy card said, find out what's in her hand and then punish her for it. Right, yeah, so punish. some of the cards I remember, Someone said that too.
2: Dan, Dan played a couple cards on me, I remember, that that, was, that said, you know, draw three cards and then name a plot, and if any of those cards match up, then you discard all those cards and you get bad baggage and maybe you get... Uh, trauma token, which is yeah. worth just minus eight. But I didn't IP. have the card still look at. Your but you interest. didn't know it was in my hand, uh, so you you were guessing. And yeah, I think I was... you hit me with that a couple times. You made me discard. Yeah, I got it. Annoying. Somebody, Andrew, hit you with it at one point too. Yeah, we we did yeah. a little bit. We didn't. So I think another part of this game is that it's it's unfortunately it's too long to play more frequently. That the more you would play it, you would sort of learn the the sort of the intricacies of various people's decks.
1: Right, because you're never going to see all. You may not see most of the deck in a single game. Right. I yeah. think we
2: all sort of almost went through a whole white light deck. Decks, light but that, decks. I mean,
1: I got a quarter of mine personally. Yeah, uh, that was my own depend, problem.
2: It depends, and, and as you said, it's time management. It's and you had, use that time pretty wisely in the end. I was pre- I was very evidence and conspiracy puzzle focused. I had very
3: uh, at the end of the game, I only had I think five light cards I hadn't drawn yet. They were, like, some of the strongest ones he's got, which was kind of right, depressing. Right, right. Well, but, yeah. you know, they're all, all out happens. there. Like, wow, if I'd had these cards earlier. Yep, let's I'm look at the draw. It. Great. But what are you going to do?
2: I got some good cards. everybody got some good cards.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I enjoy playing this game, but it, as I said earlier, it, it's long. Yep. It's yeah, long, and it's we, hard we, to bring people who haven't played up to speed. We played, I believe, for seven hours. From
3: starts, from setup... To, ta- to tear down, there, including
2: a couple breaks and yeah. dinner and things like that. And a, so. and a rules, uh, and a rules yeah. We yeah. were
3: involved with this game for about seven hours. We probably played for about
2: five. Yeah, I'd which say five, four, which players. four players plus a learning curve. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: With a good teacher.
2: Yeah. Thank you. I've played this game a number of times. I've played it at Carnage twice now, and or led it at Carnage and didn't actually play, because it's a game that sort of benefits from having someone to lead. Yep and sort of say now you you have to do this and now it's your turn here's your card here's to de- how to how to deal with it one of the things that that i've had trouble with is that we can only get through about half of it in the, the sort of a carnage time slot Yep, how because a
3: carnage time slot's 4 hours
2: something like that yep 4 hours so with five players 4 hours getting through half the game isn't isn't so That's bad, bad. Um, including because it takes about you know half an hour to get through all the rules and make sure make sure everyone's there and they're focused and so it can really depend a lot based on the players. I think we had this past time was a, a good group. I had, I had fun. I enjoyed that. It's probably the most enjoyable session I've had of this game, which I kind of bought on a whim. I remember when it came out, we were we had looked at it and uh, it seemed interesting enough. And I think Fantasy Flight had a, a sale or something like that. Yeah. I Got it for a decent price. And yeah, I bought it right
3: after playing it the first time. I haven't, I haven't been able to play my my. Copy yet because it's, as we said it's difficult to schedule to get this set up, um, but yeah it's a lot of fun. I really it's like it's
2: that. also it's it's not something for people who obsess over points. It is it's based on points, but I think it's not as enjoyable if you if you think of it as an Agricola or dominant species kind of thing where it's much more abstract and stripped down. There's a lot of um, sort of neat to the to the game there's a lot of story story yeah, and the cards stories. each have a little vignette of something that's happening that yep. that describes why you're losing all your tokens or why yeah. Yeah. you know you're gaining why some money or, getting screwed right, or why right exactly not, or why you're being awesome mm-hmm. and so you're chatting with your each each player has three npcs that are associated with them that that can help them during the game based on the cards sometimes
1: yep. you can lose them if your plots go poorly it can really pay to play with people who are not only willing to read their cards to read all the text on their cards out loud but even get into the story and develop voices yeah however, yeah and, and it's however ridiculous a bioroid's voice <laughs> bioroid may sound.
2: must return to base <laughs> once per week <laughs> And in the rule book as well, they have a, it's pretty fleshed out universe. It's not just sort of like, here you are in space town and then space moon town and here's the connection. And there has been a space there, murder. There is, yeah, a space <laughs> murder.
1: With the, with the space. Space weapon murder. There are space detectives. The rule book is gorgeous. The whole, the whole setup is gorgeous. And the, the art is pretty nice. I like the sort
2: of, it's sort of a Blade Runner.
1: Yeah. I do like the, heavily inspired by Blade Runner. Yes. I do
3: like the vehicle rulers. There's little calibers, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're they're
2: a, a crescent. Here, let me show you one. Here,
3: okay. Yeah, look See at that. that Very nice. There. But yeah, the, uh,
2: great
1: on a podcast. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> yeah.
3: So they're a crescent, and they're they're some of them are wider than others. The uh, locations are all. They have a little dot in the corner. They're uh, or they a a each, Symbol in the corner, right?
2: They each have a symbol and that sort of describes. So when what you it is. move,
3: you can move anywhere that you can put that your your caliper basically is inside it. Like if you can. Let's say you put your, yeah, I'm using the, the, the Corvette. Right the now, super fast the car, which one, one wants. One, it doesn't really matter. But if you put your, it's one end in your location and you reach out to another location, even if you can touch the location, you can't touch the, Right, the dot uh, the, is the, sort or, of the where the representation on the map. It's the so door. it's sort of, it's a neat, it's a neat way and of doing you can't it. Go it
1: goes just normally go places inside
2: yeah. your radius. More bits. It's kind of neat.
3: It's, it's an cool.
1: Inter- it brings an interesting physicality to. Planning out your moves because yes. you can't just count spaces. So I'm going to go one,
2: two, three. Right. It's not like talisman or something where you're just sort of moving square to square. Yep. It, yeah. it sort of is. It sort of makes the board, the movement physical and and the different. Right. And the different the, the different detectives have different speed cars. Yeah, so like the cops, one. the people associated with the police department have, you know, dumpy slower, dumpy thing. dumpy things. Right. Uh, my psychic clone actually works for. The Gentechi, which is the company that makes the clones, it mm-hmm.
3: so looks kind of like a Prius-y sort of vehicle here. Which no, is one, awesome. no wonder Aussie you wanted fast. the player.
2: Yeah, and you you had one. You as the troubled PI had a yeah. I mean, get this, a faster car I as get well. They got this
3: broken down kind of looking beater thing, but it's faster. A jalopy. Uh, it's faster than this Lewis Blaine, the cops' little like military uh, police vehicle. Yeah. Or or Floyd's. Or Floyd. uh, so there's three extremely tiny motorcycles. <laughs>
2: there's three sizes of of a uh, vehicle. Right. So, so speeds the two smaller sizes and the standard issue stuff, and then you right. might pull. There's you, an event every day, or half the days. There's an event that happens. Um, various things. For example, in ours, Jimmy the Snitch got some information. So if you if you visited him before anyone else did, you could get some extra evidence. But then he was, you know, bumped off.
3: Right. Yeah. One of the events will give you the uh, the core events. Right. So mm-hmm. one of the
2: events is go talk to Simmons at the police department. Because he has a new prototype, and if you're the first one to do that and spend you know, three time or two time in a favor or something like that, I don't remember what the card says, Right. you get the fast car, which dramatically increases the things you can do in your turn because you're spending less time jumping from yeah. location to location.
3: Although I read the event, and I think it's kind of tricky to keep the fast car, you can keep it for a
2: little while. More. You can use it, yeah. It's not something that you may keep forever. Right, yeah. And that's an, uh,
1: another element of the game that adds to the, the replayability is the I guess the condition cards or general event cards mm-hmm. will create these sub goals and sub uh, yeah plot lines that you can fall out and get a little there's a, there's cookie a from fair sized deck of those and you only get
2: about seven or so in a game I'd say four I think four, four? yeah yeah mm-hmm. you yeah. get you get four and then one the, each each specific scenario has three cards associated with yeah, it you sort one of, of event related ones. And you get one of those,
3: but yeah, it's pretty impressive because uh, so there's a lot of different events you can you can play the same scenario over and over and over again. And I don't know how many scenarios there are, but it looks like there's about I think there's eight, six, seven, six, something like that.
2: Six, yeah, six of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I believe want... one for each suspect, maybe, or as many as there are suspects. As many as there are suspects, that's correct.
3: Yeah, it's a good point.
2: Right, so um, I probably played, have one. I've played Evil
3: at the yeah. Estates and Murder. On the Midway, is that it? No. Freetown Fright. That's the one we did. The uh, the mining one. Mm-hmm.
2: The, the one we just played was Monswolf Massacre, yes. I believe. Oh, no, no Freetown no, Fright. Fright. You're South right, you're North right,
3: North you're North North right. North right. right. North My bad. Wolf Massacre. That was just the uh, one that was on top. The yeah, Monswolf Observatory. I think Observatory. that was the
2: one that I played at Carnage. Somebody, oh,
3: okay. Somebody used a Mono Knife. A mono knife. Oh, no. Vinny the Strangler. Then.
2: <laughs> we know his methods. They don't involve knives.
1: <laughs> Maybe there was a lanyard on his knife. Ah. It's true.
2: <laughs> and, uh, each, each suspect, I like this, has a little bio on them as well. Yes, there's so Vinny-ish much flavor text in Vinny- this yeah. game. That's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Vinny the Strangler has been arrested 27 times as opposed to the others who range from zero to three.
3: Who's been arrested three times? Mark Henry. Oh, Mark Henry keeps
2: getting arrested. The, d- yeah. the dumpy
1: mining uh, club. Poor guy. like <laughs> <laughs> <Just laughs> <looks> so
2: sad. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: And you know, and if you, when you draw your hunches, if you draw the guilty and the innocent of the same person, you're
2: obsessed you're with that You're obsessed them. with that suspect, and yes. So, so Andrew
3: if, was obsessed with Mark Henry, and we were still just putting hits, and he was just totally ignoring He didn't, it. It he didn't do,
2: he, he ended up winning without really paying attention to who was guilty. So he sort of managed his plotline well, and mm-hmm. he, Got a bunch of points for spending money and for getting favors. He knew the conspiracy. So he got in on the conspiracy
1: on the ground floor, yeah. Yeah, I remember he he used that to his advantage. He really controlled where the conspiracy went, Mm -hmm. because he was blocking off things and setting up... Right, and so one
2: of the things that that I've seen playing this game several times is that depending on who you're playing with can determine the flow of the game. If someone is spending a lot of time uncovering the conspiracy tiles... Then other people will also do that because there's some points to be had. There's if you want to control it, then, and you can really get a bunch of points that way. And there's some nice um, goodies on. There are there are. Playing those yes. tiles. it's not just connecting the dots. It's also yeah, you can get pretty good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I've seen ones where people are just sort of straight ahead, just evidence. That's sort of the easiest, the easiest way to play is just to try and get your hunch correct. But there's even though you feel are sort of limited on each turn, for the amount of time you have, it's a long game. You have lots of time, and I think in our game we ended up drawing out, exhausting the uh, the evidence. I think oh, there were the maybe one conspiracy. or two. No, well, we did both. We did the yeah. conspiracy it was right. done by the second day of the second week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we drew down, by the end of the game, the evidence was all gone as well. Yeah, in the very last turn, we really hit a lot of evidence up.
3: Yeah, we, we were... In the last two turns, rather.
1: It seemed that players weren't really taking advantage of, like, location abilities, because right. everybody was just stockpiling favors. Well, I,
2: that's what I was... I used the... the Get corporate favors, because in our game, corporate favors were worth three points each. Yep. So I ended up with a stack of, like, eight, I think. Right.
1: Which is a big chunk of points. I was I was very jealous of your stats. Floyd no. was only allowed to have two favors. Yeah. It's like every character has their own little set of mini games to play.
3: Yeah, and if you don't
2: manage them well, then you don't get a lot of the
1: You can know, lose not a, not a lot of points, of points if it's not like can, in, not only points, but you can
2: lose um, advantages. Yeah. A lot of cards say if so and so is still alive then and X. if you and then you can play the card. But yep. if if, if, if dead, dead, you've can't. lost your, your first plot then you can be out of yeah. luck. Mm-hmm. The uh, it's not like an Arkham Horror where the, the personal
3: plots can detract a lot from the game. Although I personally think they're fun, but they can distract
1: you from actually doing the game. Right. These are super necessary. Yeah. They're com- tightly integrated into playing the game. And right. Winning
2: and it. that's part of it is to manage your own personal destiny. So it's kind of like Blade Runner, where at the core of the plot is about him chasing down these replicants, but really he's just he's just trying to get by. Well, that's something we haven't really they mentioned yet. But and... Of course, this game owes a lot to Blade Runner. It is. It's it advanced, very, very it's much.
3: So, yeah. It's, so it's it's the landscape atmosphere and what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's got a very similar. And if you look at the at the book art, um, this this picture here of, of well, New, that's New the Angeles, actual. Um, this is the board. That's the yeah, board. The board, although in the book there's a two page spread of it without all the locations, so you can actually see it. But this this image of New Angeles looks a lot like some of the shots. Of uh, Los Angeles and Blade Runner. Yep, yep, and, uh, definitely. And of course, Blade Runner they don't have a moon base, but they do have something. Like go to. Well, there's off
2: there's off world.
3: There's off world stuff. stuff. They they're not clear about where it is, but it's
2: off world certainly. Yep. Kind of like Blade Runner, there's these sort of half people. There are bioroids yep. and and clones. and clones manufactured by these two sort of main companies, um, Ginteki for the clones and uh, Haas Bioroid for the bioroids. Which are sort of like replicants, yeah, synthetic life, right? Yeah. and so one of one of Caprice the clone, one of her her plot lines involves um, getting equal rights for clones, and uh, Floyd is wrestling with his inhumanity. Yep. over most of his plots, yeah. He's yeah, Cla- Caprice has that plot and...
3: also where she's trying to convince that guy to be in love with her, even though she's a clone.
2: Well, yeah, there's a plot where where you meet uh, a fine young gentleman at the university. And if it goes poorly, then the company tells him, hey, she's a clone, you should stay away. And he's all like, whoa, clone. Yeah. And if you tell, you know, if you if in the good endings, you tell him and he's like, that's okay. Yeah. I like I, you anyways.
1: Of Caprice and, and Floyd, it seemed more about them coming to terms with their own identity than, yeah. you know, what other people might think.
2: Right, exactly. And Raymond's got to come to terms with his past. Mm-hmm. Uh, Louis... Rachel deals with her father and friend issues and Lewis has to deal
3: with his corruption and his I don't remember what his, his wife his call. corruption yeah, his well, wife there's on that. It's a lot of very personal issues now most people get two most people get two quests or plots rather right. Caprice, oh. the second one is always the madness one. Mm-hmm. And, but Raymond only
2: has two plots to choose from, and they, they're
3: two-week uh, plots. It, re- it
2: takes the whole game,
3: right. So most people,
2: game. you get a plot that resolves after the end of the first week, mm-hmm. or at a, the end of the first then week, you go and they the choose a new plot. one in the
3: second week. Raymond, it's the same plot the whole game. Uh, a little more complicated than everybody else's plot, obviously. And so it's th- worth twice the points if you get it.
1: So does that mean that Raymond's, Raymond has... Raymond will have one plot over the course of the whole game and it could be one of two or he only yes. plays the same plot. No, yeah. there's two
3: plots. There's two, plot- the two, plot there's two choices, to choose from. Uh, the one about Kate coming back into his life. Sure. Which is the okay. one that you had. Which is the one I had. And there's the one where he's trying to find Parsons.
1: Yep.
2: Um, Poor Parsons. Poor, Poor Parsons. Parsons. You, you let him die, man. You well, left him there to die, to die man. in the war.
3: These things, it was a war. These things happen.
2: Yeah, look, you're so sad with your I was rippy an, hat. I was a mug. great pilot. Your cigarette.
3: People thought I'd be taller.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and apparently you hang around with loose women, so <laughs> well, you know. You can't be a PI without hanging around with a few loose women. Getting tangled up with some dame. So,
1: so it's a very thematic science
2: fiction detective. Very film. thematic. I I that's one of the main selling points for me. Yeah, is that's that. why I, I I really, really like it. And I I suppose if you played it a lot, then it would get kind of tiring. That you would, because the card's always the same. If you yeah. get played a certain thing, it's, oh well. All- Rachel's talking to her dad on her earbug again while she's shooting some guy.
1: Well, if mm-hmm. you
3: play it a lot, then you know obviously you don't have a job, and you know a lot of people who don't have a job because it right. take all your time.
1: So a college student, I was just thinking uh, when we were talking about how long the time commitment and how long it can take to play and getting people who are available. Maybe there's something that would pay off from uh, using an online play engine like Vassal, where you can make you your can turn. You can save. Yeah, you can. You could just five people could have it running in their browser for a month or whatever.
2: Right, a sort of a play by email kind so of it's like that. Because what Dominion does that quite a bit. Well, people. Dominion has a good server for that yeah. that that works really well and a lot of people use that. Mm-hmm. This would almost work well except for the fact that other people can play cards on you as you're taking your turn. Yeah. Right. Everybody So it's be not present. it's not like you do your turn and then you pass which some games are like that. Mm-hmm. would work better. That's a good point. But still, it would let you save the state of the game without dedicating your dining room table. Right, right, that's true. And my dining room table was not even big enough. No, no, really. We had to have a, a side table.
1: Fantasy Flight is known for putting out a lot of support for board games in the form of expansions. Is there anything like that for Android?
2: There there are no expansions. Um, this game is three or four years old, I guess. Yeah, four, something like that. Four or five, I don't remember. Um, but no, there are no expansions. Um, I think primarily because... It wasn't as popular as some of their other games, mm-hmm. um, but it's also a game that is sort of. It's, I would think it would be difficult to expand upon.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I agree. I mean, you could easily make for an expansion some more murder plots. Mm-hmm. That and would you could, be the easiest. You could easily, they could probably easily come up with. I Maybe mean, not easily, but they could come up with some new detectives. Mm-hmm. You could make new suspects, but there's not really any point to that
2: because the suspects are just. This is this is pretty much just the scum of the earth. Yeah, well, it's not, like not that. No one's done anything as bad as these six. It's not even that. It's just they don't do anything. The
3: suspects play a, a, a minor role. Just, they, they could be anyone. Really. You just to so You just they just serve as some some places to associate points for you guilt could, on. You could. I mean,
2: you could you could have a separate set of suspects and murders. Right. And That would
1: be easy easy to switch out. Well, the personalities and characters are sort of uh not relevant. The the big thing about NPCs is what evidence is strong, what evidence right. is weak.
3: Right. So what what you could do with suspects, I suppose, if you wanted to introduce new suspects, to introduce a new set of suspects that affected, that that had effects on the on gameplay. On the gameplay itself. You could also, I think, do an expansion that expands the game, that expands the game to Mars. With a new with another board. Another I board. wondered about a new board. Because like then you, Arkham Horror, which the is their big various, one for expansion, yeah. they've got three of them so far that add boards to the game and make it take up, you know, three dining room tables. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you could easily do that well, easily is it but that's conceivable you could do that with Android where You'd maybe add a location that's a spaceport or something. Yeah, and or, or it data would take three times... To get to Mars. The suspect, Thoris, here is clearly, you know, she's in the Martian military. Mars is involved in some fashion, and it appears to be, from the flavor text,
2: politically separate from Earth. It's sort of like a Russia to Earth's U.S. So, mm
3: -hmm. So the the, the murder could involve... For some reason, something to do with Mars, and you have to go to Mars for some things. That take more time. You would perhaps get your ass to Mars. Yes.
1: (laughs) You would get your ass to Mars. That would be a great condition card. (laughs) Get your ass to Mars. Um, Go to
2: to recall. Mars isn't just
3: fake.
1: Yes, there's no real Mars. (laughs) Everyone just thinks they've been to Mars. What I was wondering about adding boards is uh, a lot of... Events and decks are related to locations on the board, so you'd have to add a fair wadge yeah. of cards yeah, that, that relate to code, the new board. Yeah, you'd probably have yeah. to
2: have rules for substituting a certain number of events into the deck, or right,
1: expanding or maybe each players
3: decks
2: for everybody. Or maybe
3: Mars could be almost a separate game, just like. the whole similar mechanics, but on Mars. Yeah, well, maybe maybe you use the first game, but you can't use any of these guys. You got to use the guy, the the detectives who are associated with the Mars game because their decks integrate both with main Android and with Mars Android or something. I don't. Right.
2: Know. So now we're kind of instead of an expansion, this is like a sequel. It's yeah, like a almost. new core set. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. So maybe you don't have to print
1: all the token sheets. Yes.
2: Right. So you could maybe use some of the detectives in either game, but it would be a separate game.
3: Exactly. Yeah, in like some, the some ways like games
1: Yeah. like
2: that. It would be a big pain, and I, I can't imagine they would do it, but that's, that's all I could think of you could do for expansions. Another thing, I mean, speaking of expansions, Fantasy Flight has recently released a novel based in the Android world. Right? Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. We should check it out. I think there's some samples on their webpage.
1: Which shows off their investment in creating the the world and flavor text is paying off, apparently. Apparently so. Novelizing
2: it. It seems like that would be interesting. I don't know. I haven't really... I may I may it, look into that I because
3: ahead. I do like the flavor text and the world setting. I, mean, mm-hmm. I believe there's a there's a special card available if you buy the book.
2: Oh well, really? Mm-hmm. That's their expansion for the. I mean, yes, for there's
3: for two, this
1: game. Yes, on on reflection, I recall reading about two uh, special condition cards you can get. Hmm. One through the book and one through apparently being good friends with fantasy. With well, fantasy flight. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the buddy card. Yes. So Alex and Dan. What kind of game player do you think would really enjoy this game, and who do you think should run out and try and get to play this? I think if you like a game like
2: Arkham that has, has some theme, it has, it's mixed with the mechanics, and while they don't always mesh right, it's, it's sort of the, the experience of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A this, game like that, something, maybe even Civilization, also by Fantasy Flight, the, the newer one. Yep. Something like that, that sort of mixes the theme and the mechanics in a way that, that works. I think, for the most part.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of theme to this game, so you'd want to, you'd definitely want to be the type of gamer who's, who's reasonably Who happy with a, that, with a yeah. lot of flavor text. Because it's all over the place.
2: Yep. And you don't have to read it. Each card has a, a significant yeah. chunk of text, and if you don't read it, that doesn't affect the game, but it makes it a lot drier, I guess. Yeah. So if you enjoy games like that, I wouldn't recommend it if you don't, um, if you don't like theme. Mm-hmm. It's not an Ameri- trash game, quote unquote. Um, because there are no dice, it's not that random. The only randomness is just the decks of cards and the the tokens that you pull yep. randomly. Um, yeah. It doesn't have fighting, there's no... There there, there are fights, but that's just... Yeah.
1: Uh, abstract. And abstract. They're, they're Two choices on players. a card,
2: and it's just yeah. a player gets to choose. Yeah, yeah. you're going to fight
1: fair, you're going to fight
2: dirty. Yeah. yeah. This is a, it's, a, it's not a cooperative game, um, obviously. Right. It's. Uh,
3: it can really fuel it's antagonism. Not, yes, it can.
1: It
2: can, but it isn't. It isn't particularly antagonistic. I think. Um, there, there is a fair amount of that with playing cards on people, and you can definitely get vindictive yeah. about about that. Yeah, some people
3: can do that. They can get really vindictive. <laughs> Why are you looking at Alex
2: like that, dude? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's who I was looking at. I was looking at Alex. Everyone looks at me. Yeah, I'm a vindictive sort. <laughs> he is. <laughs> Um. So, if you if you prefer games like Agricola or Dominant Species, resource very engine op- optimization, right? Sorts of games. Dry, abstract, more abstract kind of points based games. Mm-hmm. This is very much. It's a story game. It's almost role playing.
1: Yeah. Just short of role playing game. Well, that's the interesting point. Is I don't. It's the role playing is all A or B choices. I think in this game for the most that's part. True. So for most of it is.
2: But to really appreciate the game, you have to get in the role of your detective. Yeah. I mean, it's dictated for you how it plays out. It's not you don't have choice. You don't have a lot of choice as you would in a tabletop game, but it's definitely closer to that end of the spectrum than... Something where you're, you know, you're a Puerto Rican importing oil and stuff mm-hmm. or corn and indigo. I mean, that's, you're, you're a farm plantation owner, but that's, that's the extent of it. Right. It's
1: sort of tacked on at the end. Yeah. Cause I, I think there are people there who could certainly play this game cheerfully, just thinking, now what is my, what, how would my bioroid feel about this certain <laughs> situation? <laughs> he can't feel. He's a biroid. He is a He's robot. He's struggling
2: so hard. He can imagine unicorns, I think is how you finished it.
0: Yes, in he, the clouds, you can he, see a unicorn. Yeah, he saw. And something he was in the
2: all clouds. like, "Whoa, I can see uniforms in the clouds." <laughs> uniforms. Yes, uniforms.
1: <laughs> so it's going to appeal to somebody who who really enjoys theme, but isn't yeah. afraid of bits either. Right, it's there like, are yeah, lots of bits, a lot of and bits. and
2: there is a, there there is a significant um you know points and things mm-hmm. like that. So it's not like it's all theme. Yeah, some people I, don't, I think may dislike it for that reason: is that the theme and the mechanics are. Although they're, they're pretty well blended, some of it doesn't always make sense.
1: Yeah, there's some not. there are certain things that don't always follow the chain of logic, as you might expect. Right. Like dark right. and light
2: cards. Correct. Yes, that's a particular one. And I think he addresses that either the, the designer of the game, talks mm-hmm. about that. And I believe either in Board Game Geek or at the end in the designer's notes, he, he says some things about how he'd hoped, sort of what the ideas that came out to the game, how, how they came about. And if you, if you like playing this game, I'll probably continue running it at, at uh, Carnage. I would recommend reading the rules over, the, just to look at the art and, uh, mm-hmm. and get an overview. I think they're pretty well written, but they're not, they're not a GMT games manual, which is section by section, everything is cross-referenced. Right, and things X. like point that. Y.Z. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Section 1.5.2 mm-hmm. relates to section 3.4.1. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there, there are those kind of games, but this is, it's fun. I, I enjoy the game. I'm not disappointed that Oh no. It. Yes, you definitely enjoy the no, game. Yes. We all know that. i have <laughs> we'll, we'll
1: only run it 2 years and keep trying to get keep teaching people to play. I know. This
3: is a, this game is
1: loads of fun. It's just super time consuming, that's all. Yeah, and it's really recommended that you find somebody like Alex who can teach you to play that first time. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, just and if you're playing it for the first time alone, um I would recommend doing only a single week maybe or play through a couple a couple turns mm-hmm. to get the idea, to get the, idea, get the feel for how the movement works, and like any game, the first time, especially with this many bits, you'll forget a few rules, and forget to do this or that, and you sort of get a feel for how, how to play in general.
1: And that's where the rule aids, that universal head is yes, and really, really pay
2: off. Those help a lot, so I'd recommend printing those out if you're playing for the first time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he has the player aids, and he has sort of a, I'm not sure what, what this is called, but sort of just a rules aid that sort of has all the, it's a, a distillation of the rule, rule book. Yep. Uh,
1: Concise form. It helps you sort of answer quick questions about order and options.
2: Right, and what this symbol means, what that symbol means,
1: or how the uh, warrants work, for example. Right. So it's three or four years old at this point, but it's still available. Fantasy Flight has it in their online shop. You, You can get it through distribution chains and your friendly local game store, places like that. It's not a cheap date, so you probably want to try it first. Yep. See if you can find somebody in the local community or uh, at a convention who uh, already own it and are enthusiastic about teaching it. <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea. I would recommend also looking at very various uh, storage solutions
2: on Board Game Geek. Right. There's various ways of doing it. Each detective is very separate. Mm-hmm. So depending on who you're playing with, it varies the bits that you're playing with. There's lots. I mean, as we mentioned earlier, there are lots of very very small parts. Yes.
1: So many tokens, chips, and tokens, but none of those tiny little cards you typically they don't get have, in the have. The
2: cards. yeah, the, this was I guess maybe before they sort of invested in the tiny little card factory. Yeah, in that's China. true. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they have, have full size cards for this
1: one. It's nice; you can actually do yeah. a, a proper shuffle with them.
2: Yes, it's that's true. True.
1: Not that anybody would ever do that with game components. Oh
2: no, we treat them with the utmost of respect. You laminate them. Yeah, that's one of the things about the car calipers is that they. They eventually will wear out the tips of them because it's just cardboard. Yeah, yeah. but all the components are are, are high quality. It's probably, Fantasy you know, flight. You could tape them up or something. You could dip that in polyurethane, nail polish, wax. Yeah, sealing <laughs> wax. Talk, talk to Carlo. He'll have some sort of stuff. I'm sure You're he would. Sure. Yes. I'm surprised he doesn't play this.
1: Well, there's no uh, elder gods. That's the problem. True, Yeah. Well, there's
2: none in uh, Battlestar either.
1: It's true. get like Elder gods? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> So, so any last words? No, you you had the last word, I think. Okay. Dan, right. do
3: you do you have a capper? No, I don't think so. I think we pretty much covered everything. I and mean, Alex is much more familiar with the game than I am, and I just uh, I really enjoy it, and I look forward to playing it some more.
2: Yeah. All right.
1: Thanks, guys. I think I want to try Lewis Blaine next time. Yeah, Lewis is fun. I hated Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> I was just learning the game too, so. All right, Alex, okay. Dan, thanks for sitting down and talking about Android. That was fun. Thanks.
0: Last, but not least.
1: All right, everyone, that's episode 20 of CarnageCast. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Chuck, Dan, and Alex for taking the time out to talk on the show with us. Be sure to drop by the Carnage website, CarnageCon.com, leave a comment on an episode, review us on iTunes, join our Facebook group, any number of those things. We want to hear from you. Until next time, good gaming.
0: You've been listening to Carnage Cast, a production of NNEG LLC, all rights reserved. For more information, visit us at www.carnagecon.com.